need to remind people of the power and the value of the arts. And we have to take responsibility by, by being in incredible shape and even better than before. Hi, I'm Sean Perrin, and you're listening to episode 161 of the Clarinet Podcast, the show for clarinetists. Today's special guest on the program is Andrew Simon, who is the principal clarinetist of the Hong Kong Philharmonic Orchestra, a position he's held for over 30 years. And of course, he's also the host of the Andy's Licorice Talk videocast. We discuss how Andrew ended up as a New Yorker all the way across the world in Hong Kong, what it was like performing in, of all places, North Korea, his thoughts on continuing as musicians in a post-pandemic world, and all about his experience creating video interview content for clarinetists. Patreon supporters will get access to an extended ad-free version of today's episode, which features a lot of interesting conversation, ranging from performing and working with Pavarotti, all the way to studying with Leon Rushinoff. So really interesting stuff in there today. You can get access to it for as little as $1 per month at clarinet.com slash subscribe. Thank you so much to our sponsors who make the show possible. The new Bakun Q-Series clarinet features a completely redesigned bore inspired by the Bakun Custom Series clarinets. This means you can play and perform like the pros, but for less. Use code CLARENEAT at BakunMusical.com to save 10% on your entire purchase and try the Bakun Q-Series or Protégé Clarinet risk-free for 30 days. Just pay the return shipping if you aren't fully satisfied. Shop now at BakunMusical.com and use code CLARENEAT at checkout. Imagine a read that lets you focus on your music, lasts for months instead of days, and even saves you money in the long run. It's all possible with Legere Reads, the world's leading synthetic read brand made right here in Canada. The European cut read is preferred by Legere artists all over the world, including Eddie Daniels, David Schifrin, Croninger Freddy, and many others. It offers a warm, clean sound with a great ease of articulation and is now available for E-flat, B-flat, and the bass clarinet. Learn more at your local music store or at Legere.com. That's L-E-G-E-R-E.com. I'm here today with Andrew Simon, who's the principal clarinetist of the Hong Kong Philharmonic Orchestra since 1988, and he's the host of the Andy's Licorice Talk videocast, which can be found on YouTube. Andrew, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Sean. Great pleasure to be here. I have to say, before today's interview, I actually prepared myself a licorice tea here in sort of anticipation for our conversation. So, <laughs> Oh, wow, wow. That makes me very happy. Yeah, so, but I think you mean licorice as far as the clarinet, the licorice stick, right? That's the, where the name comes from? <laughs> yeah, which, by the way, I'd, li- I'd like to add, I was surprised to find many people didn't know that. Even established the clarinet players didn't know that. It just I'm dating myself, I guess. I'd heard it before. It's more of a kind of jazzy term, right? Yeah, I, it was. The, I, I actually looked it up afterwards. I was I was greatly offended by people who were asking me, you know, why I, ne- you know, I looked at, and I I think basically, you know, in the big band era, a, a DJ, a radio DJ or something, referred to it as a licorice stick, and it became a big, um, you know, institutional thing. But you know, as time moves on, I guess it it's <laughs> lost a little bit. Yeah, no, I remember seeing it. and thinking it was clever right off the bat. So I do want to touch on that. I think we'll get there in a few minutes. But first, I definitely want to talk about your. Um, extensive career playing with the Hong Kong Philharmonic. Um, and I guess the first kind of question I have is, you know, you're a New Yorker. Hong Kong is a long way from New York. It's not like one just kind of would randomly end up there. So what's the story about how you started um, your career there? Basically, I, I was a student at, at Juilliard and the Juilliard Orchestra was the first conservatory orchestra to tour China. This was in 1987. China was a very, 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 and those of you who have been to China, it was a very, very different place, of course. Um, I'd like to mention on that tour, uh, some of the clarinet section, because, because uh, 
well, we're, we're still in touch and, and they might be familiar to the listeners. One, uh, John Manassi was on that tour from New York. Dan Gilbert is a professor at uh, University of Michigan was on that tour. Uh, myself, uh, Chris Bosco, who's a bass clarinetist in the Malaysian Philharmonic was on that tour. And a, a Yugoslav, I guess he'd be Serbian today, uh, by the name of Darko Velichkovsky was on that tour. So we went to Japan first. Um, and then we went through China, which was a very, very difficult tour at that time. Um, the, the food wasn't what it is today in China. The um, vacuum cleaners aren't what they were today. I mean, I, I distinctly remember people used brooms because labor was cheaper than vacuum cleaners. So people were, were getting bronchitis. People were vomiting on stage. It was a real uh, kind of coup. And, and we got to Hong Kong, I remember, which was resembling civilization. We, we stayed in a hotel and there was a McDonald's above us. And I've never seen such a rush for anything. A hundred people ran, including the president of the, of, of the school, um, President Polisi at that time, new, new president who just retired. And we all had two happy meals is what I remember. And to this day, it was the best meal I've ever had. <laughs> and um, anyway, I, I fell in love with Hong Kong. I thought it was a, a, a beautiful place. I, I returned back uh, and immediately joined the opening season of the New World Symphony in Florida. And um, one thing like, led to another. I, 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 there were some people who came to coach from, from prominent orchestras and who had played here. And they actually were talking about it and what a wonderful experience they had in Hong Kong. And lo and behold, there was a uh, audition tour. So they came to Carnegie Hall. They also went to London. They went to Chicago, all around the world. They came to Carnegie Hall. Um, I played an audition. I thought it would be really fun to come for one year. And uh, the rest is literally history. You know, 32, 33 years. I, I'm not even sure. <laughs> um, later, here I am talking to you on, on Zoom. Yeah, that's crazy. You know, it's so funny. I have almost the exact same story about a McDonald's in Asia when I went to Japan with marching band in about 2000, the same thing happened. All of us were walking down the street. And it was like, oh my God, there's a, <laughs> you know, a sign of some normalcy. And you know, Japan was very industrialized, obviously, but it was still kind of just like a, a novelty to see something so familiar so far away. And uh, everyone went in and had chicken nuggets and whatever else you, <laughs> you, know, you might be craving on a trip. And, uh, and so, you know, tell me more about this whole kind of moving to another, the other side of the world, really. I mean, you intended to stay a year and then stayed for over 30. I mean, so what were some of the things that kind of cropped up and were like, okay, I gotta, I gotta make this my, my home. Hey, let me start by saying I'm, I'm incredibly grateful to, to Hong Kong. And, and I, they, when I hit the 30 year mark, I had a little blurb in the program and, and I just sent a message to the, to the people in the orchestra. They've accepted me. They've given me so many special experiences. Uh, one thing, for example, is the orchestra played at the handover. This was 1997. It was the first time a territory had moved from, quote, ownership of one country to another. Literally billions of people watching. Um, you know, I, of course, it was British when I came here. And today it's Chinese. And I actually lived under the Brits. Well, I, I, I guess, what, nine years? Nine years. Yeah, 97, that changed, right? Yes, exactly right. But it was a big deal. We had um, uh, Prince Charles, for example, attended. We had a governor, the last governor in a colony was there. It was such a special experience because uh, there were 
as I said, I, I believe in the billions, but certainly hundreds of millions of people watching on TV. And I'll never forget that the British Armed Forces bands were playing and the flag came down, the Union Jack, and we had a whole British uh, trumpet section. And they put up the Chinese flag and we, it was time for us to play Enigma Variations. And the cameras come and the entire trumpet section starts bawling like a baby. I, I, you know, they, they, it was such an emotional moment. Um, and then very interesting, there was a guy in the orchestra, he, he, he always got gigs, high profile gigs for the rich and famous and diplomats, you know, playing at weddings and stuff. And as soon as it ended, with Prince Charles literally wincing, and there was a famous picture wincing when the, when, the, when the flag came down, he says, you guys want to do a gig quickly. So we ran across, literally it was five minutes away to a very famous hotel. And there were all the top Chinese dignitaries, okay? And watching the repeat of the flag coming down. And we were going to play a little gig for them. And you saw a hundred of them cheering, you know, like a sporting event. And I thought, wow, I mean, other than maybe post-election headquarters, where would you see, you know, a, a group of people weeping, you know, and across the street, people celebrating. And, I, and what I remember is they were watching the repeat. They now are going to go to the very official ceremony. And they made a big announcement. We had just arrived. Everybody get into your limos. We're taking you over there. And literally, we 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 had this all the Dom Perignon we could uh, drink, and and we watched it on TV. And at midnight, you know, the tanks came in, everything came in, and but the next morning it was China. You know, that's one kind of historical event. Another thing I was able uh, in 1992, I played in North Korea. I played for the 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 Kim Kim Il Sung Kim Il Sung, who's the grandfather of Kim Jong Un. 80th birthday, this was considered the biggest event of the century in North Korea. And, you know, I was the first American, uh, I should say American born to play there. There were some uh, people who had moved to the U US, I guess, um, and came back. And, you know, that was in, an incredible experience. We opened our cultural center, uh, Princess Dai and, and Prince Charles, on their only visit together in Hong Kong, you know, attended it. Um, you know, I, I just felt like, um, of course, people have amazing life experiences and amazing careers, but I thought this is a special thing. For, I, I think this is not just the, the run of the mill, um, run of the mill. I mean, it's so extraordinary, I guess, to get a principal clarinet job. This was something special, you know, but the orchestra itself also, I'm very lucky because it's, it, it's, it's grown really into is something substantial. Our music director, Jaap van Sweden, is also the music director of the New York Philharmonic. You know, obviously it has a high profile and we just recorded the Ring Cycle and received the, the, the Orchestra of the Year Award from uh, Gramophone Magazine. And as long as serving principal, I was invited to come and collect the award in London and so forth. You know, I remember hearing Stanley Drucker's interview, uh, not with Clarinet, I, I are reading about it. And he says, you know, I, I've had good luck in spades. It takes a luck. You know, and, and I have to say the same thing. I mean, I've, uh, uh, I'm really blessed and, and extremely grateful for these extremely unusual experiences I've had. That is amazing. It's such a part of history, you know. You know, I'd never think to ask someone what it was like to play in North Korea. And I, I may not get the answer. I may not get the chance again. So <laughs> what, what was that like? I mean, did you did you have to kind of, I mean, just walk me through what that was like. I, 
That was crazy. First of all, I'd like to say on my website, um, I wrote a lot of articles, as you can imagine, people were were interested. um, And and there is an article, uh, I guess it was written at that time for the Clarinet and Saxophone Society in Britain back in the 90s. And and if you want want to see the article, um, uh, you, you know, it really takes you through it. But yeah, it was crazy. I mean, uh, from beginning to end. First of all, I couldn't get a visa in Hong Kong at that time. You know, as Britain, I ha- I needed to go to Beijing. Let's start earlier than that. Should I do this or shouldn't I do this? So I thought I was going to be the great conquering hero, you know, and someone said, listen, you're going to get on a CIA list. I said, really? So I started saying, well, what is the policy? And I, I contacted the U.S. consulate in Seoul, the U.S. um the consulate in Hong Kong, you know, the South Korean consulate in Hong Kong. And I couldn't get a straight answer because some people were saying, don't go. I mean, there wasn't anything sort of official. Don't go, it's gonna celebrate this awful dictator. Other people were saying, yes, great, you know. And finally, my friend put me in touch with the head of the State Department in DC in charge of North Korean affairs. And I, at that time, we had fax machines. I was delighted that we had moved to that level, that I wasn't paying, you know, $100 a minute for phone as I did when I first came here. And I said, what should I do? And he sent me a fax in fine print saying, look, you're on your own if something happens. We have no diplomatic uh, relationship. However, we promote unofficial, these were the words, unofficial, I guess, diplomatic exchange or cultural exchange. And sure enough, afterwards, I went to DC a few months afterwards and they invited me at the State Department and I brought videos and they, I don't wanna say debriefed me, but they asked me about it, even they had never been uh, to North Korea. So it it, it was a crazy event. Um, I went to Beijing, I waited for for someone from from the embassy there to meet me, to help me with my visa. I missed all my flights, everything they told me I was supposed to do. And the guy tapped, I didn't know what to do. It was a Sunday, as I recall. Everything was closed. I got into a taxi queue, going to this consulate that's presumably closed. And I get a tap on the shoulder. And someone says, I hear you're looking for North Korean. Yeah, I'm from the embassy. And he says, he says, I'll put you in a hotel and you're leaving tomorrow. I said, okay. I mean, looking back, I, I can't even, this is something you do when you're in your 20s, not in your 50s. Um, he drove me about an hour outside of Beijing. I'm thinking, I mean, just the two of us, anything could happen. And he says, I need your passport. And I said, hang on a minute. This North Korean is driving me an hour outside of Beijing, putting me in some hotel um, and taking my passport. I shrugged my shoulders. I said, look, either you're going to do it or you're not. And they did. And he picked me up the next morning with a visa, which wasn't stamped because he understood once it is stamped, um, you can't travel to many countries, you know. And and I arrived. I'll never forget the flight. Um, I was standing up reading a magazine. They just took off. It was something special. So there was no announcement like the flight is going now, you know, it was just kind of all of a sudden you started. (laughs) Yeah. And it was my first experience that I was reading an English language magazine. First time anything like this ever happened to me that was written by the North Koreans. Okay. Talking about this event. So their perspective, you know, usually you you would read, well, what what would they say or or what's going on in, in the Western interpretation? Okay, but this was their interpretation, what they wanted you to know. I I saved these magazines, of course. 
And when we landed, there was a, a, a party cheering. I mean, there were a few hundred people with flags cheering. Every single person got off and someone interviewed everybody. Where are you from? And they were from, it was a different world. It's like, I'm from Senegal, you know, I'm from uh, Kenya. I'm, I'm from, you know, all, all kinds of um, special countries, if you will. And when they got to, and everyone cheered every time. When they got to me and say, where are you from? I said, USA. And he puts the hand right over the microphone, right? Raises his hand and a car comes to pick me up right on the tarmac and just takes me through, waves me through immigration. Yeah, I mean, it, it goes on and on. I mean, they have the largest stadium in the universe. You can Google the, the largest soccer stadium. You go there, they have these mass games of like, thousands of people jumping up doing Taekwondo and breaking bricks in the air. And, and um, you know, it, it was just a, a crazy, crazy, you know, experience. I was there for about a week and I, and I got back and, um, yeah, I'm not sure if I'll ever go again, but but I, I must say it was memorable. And and that kind of thing would never have happened to me if I didn't live in Hong Kong. And I, I, how did I get there? My neighbor, my neighbor went to the every April 15th for a week. That's his birthday, Kim Il-sung's birthday. It's a big party that they have an arts festival going on. This is what I participated in. And they allowed Americans in the year before I went. I guess it was 1991. And my neighbor happened to go in as a historical thing, took the train back to Beijing, ended up sitting next to the cultural uh, uh, minister of culture and said, have you ever considered having an American? They said, we'd love to have an American, but we don't know any. And he goes, I think my neighbor plays an instrument. And the rest is literally history. That is just absolutely <laughs> crazy. What are the odds? What an amazing story. Well, there's so much to unpack. I mean, with all those statements you just made, I mean, I would be willing to just talk about that for an hour, but I guess we should, we should move on. But that's, uh, that's an incredible story. I don't think that I'll, I'll ever see that again. I don't, I don't know anyone else who's... <laughs> well, you know, it's funny you say that. Um, now, there's people, even in my orchestra, that have done run marathons, uh, Americans, in North Korea. It's, it's, you know, it goes on and off. It's a little bit more common. Uh, it, it, to go in and, and, and stuff like that. So, you know, who knows what the world holds? I, like, like we've just talked about, I mean, Hong Kong, it was Britain, now it's China, North Korea, the, those dynamics are changing. The New York Philharmonic, of course, went went there um, a few years ago. So, so you never know, you know, what, what, what the future holds. Just like the idea of a Russian going to America might have been a, a very spooky thing, you know, 40 years ago, or uh, mainland Chinese during the Cultural Revolution studying at Juilliard would have been a very spooky thing. And today, uh, you know, it's very normal. Yeah, you know, it's so funny because when you zoom out and look at history, sometimes the changes or the, the way things are or the way that they became seem kind of obvious. But when you're kind of on the ground, just living your life, it's less obvious to sort of see these things. And, and you, you made a comment a while ago about, I think it was Yugoslavia. I remember distinctly, there was about three times in my kind of like childhood where I suddenly realized I was living in history. And the first one was when they came into my classroom, I think I was in like grade two or something, and they were changing out a map. And I was like, well, why didn't you change the map? And they, they had said like, oh, well, Czechoslovakia doesn't exist anymore. Now it's these two countries. And I was like, well, what do you mean it doesn't exist? And I was super confused. And But another moment, I remember actually it was 97. And, and uh, we were hearing this exact event you're talking about on the radio. So that's kind of strange. But at that time, we were actually driving from Calgary to Vancouver. So it was a long drive. And I remember we just listened to this in the car. And 
you know, those listening, there was no iPhone. You couldn't just play on your iPhone. We were listening to this radio show. And I remember thinking how wild that was, just that it was occurring. And, 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 uh, and then, of course, the next one was 9-11. And then and now COVID-19. And, you know, it's just, when does history slow down? Like, you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's enough history. But, 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 but on the other hand, on the other hand, we're communicating. You're in Canada. I'm in Hong Kong. And we're communicating as if it's, and, and, and we take this completely for granted. When I came here, as I said, we were years off of a fax machine. It would cost you an arm and a leg to make a phone call. I mean, this would have been impossible. And now you and I are communicating in real time. And, you know, the universe will, will have access to this uh, shortly. So, so you know, it, it's just the, the big picture is actually overwhelming, both pros and cons, isn't it? Yeah, you know, and I think if you took any person from 30 years ago and kind of just dropped them in today, there would be a lot of stuff that was kind of unusual and different, but I think that they would be just completely mesmerized by the connectivity and the iPhone. And, you know, it's just it's really unbelievable that a, a radio show like this is even possible or any any content that, that exists. So, you know, that, that's actually a good segue. So you ended up being a part of a new sort of history, which was uh, this whole COVID-19 situation. You know, this is fast forwarding through a lot of years. So we're we are glossing over a fair amount. Maybe we'll come back to some of it. But um, this has been a very incredible situation, which I imagine being over there and, and being much closer to kind of the, I don't know what the word is, the uh, epicenter. Is that the right word? Origins. Let's say origins. Origins. Yeah. yeah. The origins of this whole situation. What happened? Like, were you guys shut down even earlier than us out here in the, you know America? And, and, you know, what are some of the things you've gone through? And are you back to any sort of playing capacity? And just walk me through the last year. Yeah, I mean, for me being here, it's we we you know we're basically a rock. People that don't understand it, we're seven point four, seven five point five million people. We're the SAR. We're not. Uh, we're the special administrative region. Okay, we have a a common law uh, uh, system. People are, are, are talking about you know changes to that in the main, but but we're not actually. Um, have the exact same immigrational rules to mainland China. So for example, I live 18 minutes by train to Shenzhen. I'm disallowed to go there, even with quarantine. I can't go in and vice versa I, 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 in, in certain, certain uh, circumstances, but it's very difficult, let's say. Let's start with this. I could give you dates. Our last concert, a, a normal sort of concert, was with our music director, Japan Sweden. We did Prokofiev Fifth Symphony. I'm gonna say it was January 23rd. January 28th, the government announced the halls are closed, okay? Now, we're a very sensitive place. So, so um, for example, with 7.5 million people and a very, very concentrated population, we've had under 200 deaths. Okay, people react uh, 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 very strongly on, on both ends. So the halls were shut for several months. And then we had some openings. When the numbers would get better, we would, uh, well, first, uh, there's sort of three different tiers. One is stay home, you know. The other tier is musicians can play and record and live stream, but no audience. And the third tier, which we've entered again this week, uh, okay, is musicians allowed and audience allowed. Usually 
uh, the, the capacity is different, you know, masks, socially distanced, no intervals, uh, you know, blah, 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 blah. We have our own, we, we test regularly, blah, blah, blah. And so that's where we are right now. We're actually performing to an audience, the Vorjak 8 Symphony in a couple of days I'm, I'm participating in. Um, we have other big clarinet stuff this week, Hinostera Variations, Grapsy and Blue. Uh, you know, we're right in, in the mix automatically, very quickly. Um, now, we have at present a three-week hotel quarantine required. And this sometimes causes trouble um, for guest conductors and so on. And so we find them and they go through this, some of them, but, but some people don't want to do it. But then that can change. So it could be a two-week quarantine and get, now someone will say, I'm willing to do a two-week quarantine, but not a three-week quarantine. And it gets very complicated for the poor artistic um, people. Now, um, on the other hand, uh, on a personal note, um, or, or what we've been doing locally, I've had opportunities. And as many of my colleagues, we... we um, the orchestra presented me in, and uh, pr principals were invited to do a recital. I did a recital that's on, uh, somewhere, I, I guess, on YouTube, Hong Kong Philharmonic. They did that. I did a, a Mio Scaramouche with the orchestra um, uh, on a recorded concert. We, ha we have, being here and not being able to travel easily also invites you to see the beauty of touristic places in your own hometown that very few people pursue, I think, worldwide. Um, we have a beautiful monastery. I, I recorded a, a Piazzolla uh, etude, very professionally done by the orchestra and so forth. So, so I've had a, a lot of those great solo type opportunities. And I myself have also, um, be, because as I said, I'm, I'm quite grateful to Hong Kong. I put out some some teaching videos um, on tourist uh, sites um, and some musical videos. Uh, one with my, my colleague, uh, several with my colleague, uh, Lorenzo Yasko, the bass clarinetist, and, and another one with a violinist in the orchestra and so forth. So, so that's what my experience has been. We've done, I would say four to five over the year concerts with some kind of audience, that's it. But we've done a fair amount of live stream concerts and recordings. And I'd like to say one, one other thing, because it, it ties in. I had one opportunity uh, to perform. And before everything was going into lockdown and everything worldwide, I, I went to as a guest principal with the Malaysian Philharmonic. We had a great rehearsal. And it was all Beethoven celebrating his 250th birthday, like the rest of the world almost did. And two hours before, they said the government has announced you can't have mass gatherings. So we did a live performance to no one just like that. And there were 18 guest artists, you could say substitutes from around the world, ranging from Slovakia to Hong Kong. And literally, I mean, the, you might remember in March, I mean, almost universally, everyone just said, okay, get home now or there's quarantine. And, 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 um, or you might not even be able to get in. And it was just this mass sort of do the concert and get on a plane, you know. So that was my other, uh, clo the closest thing I've done to foreign experience since, since uh, this kind of mess happened. That's crazy. And it is, it is crazy how quickly everything just shut down and how worldwide that was. I mean, it sounds like you guys were quite ahead in, in January. We kind of all meddled around for about a month wondering what to do. And then in March, it was like, all right. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah it, hit, it hit the fan over there. I, yeah. I'd like to say... 
I, I had planned to come sort of February, and this is a perfect period of, of history to, to document what you're saying. The virus had just hit here, and we were persona, persona non grata. I mean, I had a friend who went to America. He went on a cruise ship, and they said, are, "Have you been? Are you from Hong Kong?" Yes. You have to leave right now. You have to get off right now. And my um, my mother's in a in a elderly facility and people were feeling very uncomfortable that she was going to meet me. So I made the decision uh, not to cancel my trip. And I had many friends um, that I was going to meet, a lot of them clarinetists, in fact. And I and I, I had bought cultural tickets for, for New York and, and whatnot. And I called them. And I said, listen, enjoy. I gave them to students of mine that are studying in New York uh, and friends of mine. And they've now reported, you know, as New York at one point became an epicenter when we were loosening up, they said this was their first experience with the virus. They, to them, it was something very weird happening over there. You know, something that's what happens over there, you know. And lo and behold, six weeks later, you know, I mean, or whatever it was, they're in complete frenzy. Uh, as well, so to speak, and we're um, you know used to it, and 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 the not as as uh, disastrous at that moment in terms of numbers and so forth. Well, I remember I was out for a beer with another friend of mine, a musician as well, uh, just before all this. I think it must have been early February. And I remember saying, "You know, look, I've been seeing on TV like." A lot of stuff is shutting down around the world, and you know, what do you think is going to happen here? And he was just kind of like, "Oh no, that's not gonna, that's not gonna happen here." And you know, like just like you said, a few weeks later, you're watching the news, and then you're watching it out your door, and uh, you know, it reminds me of when I, I lived in an apartment down near a place with a river. We had the biggest flood in our city in over a hundred years. I was watching it on the news flooding happening. I was watching it up the street, and then I was watching it outside, and then there was a cop at our door evacuating the building. And I was like, okay, wait, so this is now real, <laughs> you know, it's uh, sometimes the news comes to you. It, it is interesting. I mean, that's so allegorical. Yeah. That, that's, you wake that's... up you're like, whoa, that's, that news is real now. So, and so what are your, your thoughts as far as um, how this might affect things going forward? I mean, are you optimistic or what, what's your outlook on this and the, the influence on music in the future? That, I, I love that question. I, unfortunately, me, me being a, a, of a of a senior generation, let's say, not not so techie savvy, pro probably can't give you the specifics. But I, I think the entire world will be different. Uh, l l let's talk about some of the cool things. Okay, I guess. Okay, l let's talk about me. I mean, by no means am I celebrating this. I I, I understand um, a lot of pain in so many ways. Has has has. Uh, happened worldwide, including my own situation. I haven't seen my mother in God knows how long. I don't know when, when that's going to happen. But let's just take this. I've been, for example, teaching. I used to travel a lot, say, with the orchestra or do my solo thing. And 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 I would, you know, do master classes or recitals at conservatories. And, you know, I, I there was one in particular, you know, I would always land. They say, ah, you just missed it. Someone was here and now it didn't work timing-wise. Well, guess what? That conservatory in another country, I contacted me and said, hey, can we have some masterclasses online? Now, with that, I guess the technology also of Zoom and, and these things has been improving at an exponential rate, okay? That I, I guess we would have gotten there eventually, but I, I think now there's such a need. I mean, so many people are doing business and in our, in our field, you know, lessons, videos, whatnot. I guess things like that are improving tremendously. I, I think this whole idea of um, online 
uh, how how it's going to unfold, I'm not sure. But people are getting used to watching operas online. The people are getting used to watching concerts. They're used to watching short concerts. Very interesting for me. For example, for safety's sake, we're not having intermissions. Okay, so where is that all going? I mean, I, I, you know, we're all talking about attention spans um, decreasing over the decades. And now I think, you know, in today's world with COVID, I think once it really hit in March, I mean, your, your inbox is getting flooded with dozens of, of, of videos and, and they're three minutes long, you know, and they're four minutes long. I mean, is that going to be something for the future? Or is live streaming going to be that much more part of uh, an orchestral life, let's say, or, or chamber music series life? Um, you know, I, it, it begs a lot of questions, I, and I don't know. But I think, as you know, I also had an interview show, and, and there were some, some people that I specifically targeted because they're so good with with videos and 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 so I call it a peek into the future of music. So you know, obviously, I'm I'm not a fortune teller, but I I have a feeling that direct there will be a change in direction. I just want to say one important thing: a lot of people have been feeling a lack of motivation. I think you see this reported. Um, it goes in waves. New habits are being formed, and old habits are perhaps being forgotten. And I think it's extremely important as performing artists, whether whether you're a ballet dancer or an actor or whatever it is, anyone who relies on audience to unleash their best selves if and when things open up. We need to remind, you know, governments have been telling us we're not essential workers. People are getting used to just sitting on their couch and watching videos. We need to remind people of the power and the value of the arts, and we have to take responsibility by by being in incredible shape and even better than before. And I've heard people say maybe the concerts will be even better because people will be so grateful and inspired to be back. I don't know, but please, all of us that that start feeling down or or um, unmotivated, and especially the students, where I totally uh, understand uh, their their point of view, but this is time to take that responsibility and um, also view it as a privilege. Those of us that become reasonably established in the arts will see how rare periods of time that we can really delve and, and, and sort of um, take inventory on our weaknesses and, and um, raise those and sort of set goals, very tangible goals. Those moments are, are very precious and some of us have those moments now. So view it as an opportunity and take responsibility because you know there's more than ourselves at stake here. I think the entire uh, culture and, and industry and everything, the whole world dynamic um, is at stake. Yeah, I think so many things around the world will change, and we'll just a lot of people have been talking here about you know getting back to normal. And I was like, I don't think there's going to be a normal exactly the same as we remember. And and in a way, I think that's why so many people went through a period of grief at the beginning of this or like depression is because there is this, you know, realization that things aren't going to be the same. And we're not the first generation to experience this. I mean, I imagine in the 20s, just before the Great Depression, there was a very different mindset than there was in the 40s, <laughs> after, you know, afterwards. But people are resilient, you know, and there's always been steps forward. And uh, what I'm really wondering personally is, is what is some of the art that's going to have come out of this? Um, because after a lot of other periods like this in history, there are very interesting things that come out. I mean, look at World War II and, uh, you know, like Messian he, he, in a concentration camp, he's writing music, you know. 
I couldn't agree with you more. And one thing that I've done um, under my umbrella, I mean, I, as, as you know, I have this, um, I have this video cast, cast under the umbrella of Andy's liquor store, but actually I, I think it's been, been best known for that. But actually we have a mission statement on our Facebook page and, and it's, it's about videos and, and um, teaching and things like that. But also if we're complaining, if we're crybabies, imagine being a composer today. Okay, I mean, are they getting? You get Beethoven can't get hurt today on his birthday. You know, where where's the where's the composition student? You know, in in Utah, uh, getting hurt. So we one thing we've done is we we've, we've commissioned some new works during this period, uh, and he, some of them are just premiered in my living room. But some of them, as the numbers change, we we actually get professional videographers and we go out, but you know, and 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 do things like that and and stuff in between. Um, I would like to mention there's even composers very intelligent who are accommodating this period. So there, for example, one of my colleagues wrote a piece called Social Distancing. It's designed for now. You're supposed to wear a mask, uh, you know, if you can. It's supposed to be um, X amount. Uh, you know, it's no longer, oh, isn't it too bad that we're playing a Beethoven symphony further apart than we would like for the blend. If things go back to normal, perhaps it's, you know, you're supposed to be distanced and isn't it too bad that there's now a, a different blend than the composer vision. So I, I couldn't agree with you more. And, and I do think it's very important to remember that, that it's times like this that often create some of the best art. Absolutely. Well, and for those listening too, like this does go in phases. Like for me, I started off being very like dismissive. I was like, oh, it's going to be gone in a few days. <laughs> you know, let's hope, hope, hope for the best, you know. And then it became like, all right, it's setting in almost like a depression and it's like yearning for the past kind of thing. And, and then there was a bunch of months of just kind of like waiting. And now I do feel like kind of what you're saying, turning over a new leaf. I'm, I'm developing some new and better habits and kind of looking towards things differently and, and reassessing kind of how I use my time. And I think that things will come out. Um, I'm more optimistic now than I was six months ago, I think things will, you know, start to return. And um, I really hope that they do. You, you said a combination of things that, that I want to stress. On one hand, you said, what it, is, are we going to return to normal? Is that the goal? But when you say optimistic, you know, it's like my mom and the, the, my elders in my family, my grandmother, you know, things usually work out, but not necessarily the way you thought or hoped. And, and something will come of it and 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 there will be new opportunities if there aren't already and um but i think the most important thing i've seen interviews on this you know it's adaptability and predicting i find very difficult i mean i more than ever no matter what what country's system whether you're democracy or dictatorship or, or anything in between we've all felt the power that and unpredictability i think that governments have and 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 how quickly things can change and we really learned you know take one day at a time cliche you know to the nth power so i i really think we need we need to sit back observe and react uh one thing that's worked for me uh, generally speaking when people get very hysterical about this and and, and i've been on interviews and, and shows hey you know the first thing i think we need to assess is you know who are we What's the role of a musician in society, right? And why are you a musician? I mean, these are incredibly basic things. I think they're very tough questions, you know. And I myself took, took a sabbatical year 
about eight years ago after 23 years of playing principal clarinet, it was a lot of pressure. I, I felt the pressures of that had gotten to me. I needed the break. And I had the real luxury of being able to take a step back instead of just running around like 99% of the people do in all fields and, and just say, ask myself these questions. And I really came back stronger than ever, uh, you know, with a vengeance and, and, and really motivated. And then everyone's talking about all the ins and outs of where's the future and what I need to know. I, I think let's start from basics, you know, let's start from basics. Why are you a musician? And what's a musician? Let's start with that. You know, and then let's let let's find our path. I totally agree. Yeah, that's such a such insightful. What were the three questions? Why are you a musician? What's the role of a musician in society? Okay. Um, why are you you a musician? And the, I've just added this recently in some other interviews. You know, who are you? I, I mean, it's kind of been. I think that's that's just a bigger bigger question. But who are you? You know, are, are, are you, you know, how important is this to you? Whatever you are. I mean, that, this was a less music thing, but let's start with those two things. Because I've seen so many people talk about it, and the future is here in this, you know, ground yourself. There, there's um, someone who, whose interviews I've loved, and he's a classmate of mine, and, and I even interviewed him, uh, Michael Sachs, the principal trumpeter of the Cleveland Orchestra. He was a classmate of mine. Um, he's a self-admitted frustrated athlete. The only reason he's doing music is it's the closest thing, you know, exaggeration of course, tongue in cheek, the closest thing he could do to sports, but he just was too small or whatever to play baseball. But he talks about his best teachers are sports coaches sometimes and watching them. Uh, and, and a famous basketball coach, the first day of training, you put your shoes on. Okay, that's it. Are you putting your sneakers on correctly? Okay, I mean, these are world-class athletes. Again, why? Because, you know, you're a little sloppy and, and you get a blister, you know, or something because you didn't do it. And, and that's a hundred times worse than missing a few days practice or you twist your ankle or whatever. It just grounds you. And for me, actually, I, did, I just did a video. Um, I'm amazed at how many advanced students, but even professionals could put their clarinet together just a little bit better. You know, the one and one isn't quite, you know, this way or the read could have been. How many times has any of us teachers had a, read, a student who come in, you know, the read and well, just move it a little to the right or down. Or, and all of a sudden I said, look, you know, this is worth 10 lessons. Just put your read on right. Don't come to 10 lessons and you'll be better off. And just let's ground ourselves. Let's ground ourselves. And now we, the earth has shifted and we need to re-ground ourselves. Did this come out of the the Andy's Licorice Talk uh, channel, of course? Did this come out of the pandemic situation, or had you planned to start this before? Or what's the kind of story about about that? Yeah, well, well, uh, let me start by saying, okay, I've been a big fan of your uh, program. And you, I, I think it was about four years ago, I actually contacted you to congratulate you. I, I, I had some questions, and and I, I can't even remember. Maybe I wanted the contact of one of your guests and, and contacted them, and they were happy that, that I did. And we even talked about doing something together four years later. Here we are. But I really enjoyed those. And, and you're so, on, on top of being informative and, 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 and entertaining, a hundred million times more organized and 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 uh, you know efficient than I am. But you know, I had seen your your podcast. I always thought that that was a good idea. But there's a friend of mine. His name is David Cooper. He's the the principal horn player of the Chicago Symphony, who has been a frequent guest player with my orchestra. And 
because of the pandemic, he started a kind of interview program with musicians at large, and he called it Fireside Chats, i.e. Roosevelt during World War II. And I found them really interesting. And, and besides, I did watch a few um, non-clarinetists, but he specifically contacted me when he did uh, Stephen Williamson and John Broussier, both clarinetists. And my colleague, Lorenzo, uh, the bass clarinetist, came over to, I can't remember why. Uh, uh, and, and I said, listen, you should check these out. These are really inter interesting interviews. And, and, and he said, listen, you're such a boring guy. I mean, all you ever talk about is all the clarinetists that you know, and the clarinet. And, um, you know, and you've got that, you know, you talk nonstop, as I've proven on this thing, you know, I think you'd actually be pretty good. I said, really? And he says, look, I'll take care of all the techie side. He knows I'm hopeless. He says, under the, the condition that the first person is Andrew Mariner. The reason is he was the recently retired principal clarinetist in London Symphony. And uh, Lorenzo was a member of his section. He was a member of the London Symphony for eight years before we stole him. Um, and I'm very good friends with Andrew, uh, a very good friends. And I know so many of his funny stories. I said, deal, okay? And we'll see how it goes. So, you, so we started that, but what was amazing about it is we presented it weekly. I mean, there was no sort of let's sit down and plan the, the, the season or the, this. I mean, we presented on a few days notice. He made a poster. We put it out. We called the person on two days notice. They dropped everything. Yeah, sure. We finish it. Two, two days later, we start making phone calls again. Yeah, I can do it in two days. And it was going on week after week. I mean, it was always catch up. Ball bear. It was kind of stressful, but it was it was also so much fun. And, and I'm just so lucky that I, I I know so many of these people after, you know, paying decades of dues in the clarinet world. And I knew some of the stories to go to. And I thought the world deserved to, to hear those. So that's really how it was born. And you can see in the early episodes, I would ask people, um, should I continue? I mean, is this interesting? I mean, we're you know, we're just, you know, this isn't some fancy uh, plan. So we, we ended up with 28 um shows i mean i mean we we've 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 stopped it now as the season's going and 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 a, a few other reasons but you know it, it was quite a remarkable I, I unfortunately i don't have a laptop but as my birthday recent birthday gift there's a poster that lorenzo made with all his posters of all 28 you know it was a very very um fun experience and i also branched out i mean i sometimes i was just completely um self-indulgent for example i'm a huge tennis fan and also, I mentioned Mike Sachs at, at, at Trumpeters. I had seen his interviews. They were spectacular. The new principal trumpeter of the Chicago Symphony was our principal trumpeter the year before. Mark Gould, who was the professor at Juilliard and Mike's teacher when I was there, we had done a L'Histoire du Soldat with me and Mike and Mark conducting. And then Lorenzo, actually, who dabbles in conducting, we did a L'Histoire du Soldat in Shanghai a year ago with, with that trumpeter. So I, 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 I was... I was grasping at any straw I could. I just wanted to interview these guys. So we got the three trumpeters. And being a tennis fan, I was extremely fortunate enough to befriend uh, the 2010 Wimbledon doubles uh, ladies champion ju just because she's a sister of a friend of mine in Hong Kong. And I'm, I was just like, you know, she's much younger than me, but I was this annoying kid brother when she came to Hong Kong. What's it like being on the tour? And, you know, and, and she stayed as a guest and, and all this, and, and we're, we're in touch. So I thought to heck with it, we're just gonna 
put all four on, completely unrelated, you know, and, and for three hours and 10 minutes, we just had a great time just talking about performance under pressure and, and, and you know, laughing and clowning and talking about old times. And, you know, so, so we just went with the flow a little bit. Well, I do love it. And if you're listening to this this show today, be sure to head to YouTube after and check it out because he's got conversations on there. With you know, some there's some crossover, which is always interesting because it's nice to hear another perspective from you know artists that have are been on here, like Anthony McGill. I saw David Schifrin, but there's also some that have reminded me that I've been wanting to get in touch with for a while. Like even yourself, I, I do apologize that took so long. No, no, no. It's great to be here now. It's so funny because I remember when I started the podcast, I went to a bar with a friend of mine. And told him about the idea. And he's like, are you insane? Like, there's not enough to talk about. Like, you're going to run out of stuff to talk about after a month. And I was like, I don't know. I think I'm onto something. And you know, here we are 150 episodes later. And now there's multiple even shows going on. And you could talk about clarinet all for your whole life, sure. <laughs> you know. And there's always someone new. And, and I remember when I started it, too, I meant to loop back to a lot of people, like, after a year or something. But that's happened to a very select few guests because there's just so many people to talk to. So many interesting stories. And I'm like, I never would have, you know, imagined. I remember actually the day that you emailed me in about 2016 or something. I'm like, I can't believe that, you know, that the principal in Hong Kong is listening to the podcast. This is blowing my mind. Like, this is pretty crazy because it was early on back then, too. And since then, I mean, it's, it's so strange that the impact that these kind of programs have, because I think that most people right now would know about Clarinet and, and most people, your show as well. So. Well, let's talk about why did I contact you? I I think it was Brad Bain's uh, interview, and he was talking about cleaning mouthpieces or something like that five years ago. I, I, don't hold me to this. I think it was Brad Bain, maybe, that that posted the interview. I, I could be wrong. Yes, yeah, I think he did. Yeah, and I had a question about cleaning mouthpieces, you know, and, and, and you know, I contacted you, and I congratulated you because I was surprised. I didn't think I could sit through an hour or whatever listening cleaning mouthpieces, mouthpieces yeah. Alone, <laughs> and, and so I contacted you to congratulate you, and then I contacted him with some questions, and we had, we were, you know, I know Brad, and, and we went back and forth and, and so forth, but your show offers so much of this depth, you know, mouthpiece cleaning to other, other uh, people who have their online presence. And it, they have comp- so many niches within the world. And I think I just went for it right away. Let, let, let's go for some of these people. Like like you said, Sabina Meyer, she's never had an English language interview. She's never had an internet. In, in, let's get this down. You know, it's been 40 years. Come on, you know, and that kind of stuff. So, so the people who were kind of um, kicking up sand at, at, at this period of time, um, I thought, let's do that. And, and it was fun. I mean, it was connecting with friends and, and documenting funny stories that I knew to go to that, that I thought people would appreciate. But you have so much depth and, and so many informative things besides just well-known, you know, clarinetists and their stories. Um, so, so I think that, you know, as an educational tool, just keep it going and, and preserve the ones you have. No, thank you. I really appreciate that. And I, I am so glad that there's other people doing, you know, similar things now, because as I said, the, the perspective is so important. And um, if there's one kind of mistake I feel I've made with clarinet, it's that almost the niche is not deep enough. I feel sometimes like I gloss over jazz clarinet or orchestral clarinet or, you know, this show is really my perspective as a clarinetist, which really honestly is is mostly freelancing. And, and my interests are more in kind of modern music and I've got a lot of orchestral playing experience, but but I'm also young, so I haven't done it a long time. But I think that's one of the things that kind of makes it relatable is I, I think that I'm, I'm kind of relatable to the people who are also just starting out their careers and, and kind of wondering where they should go. I, I, allow me to, to, to confirm that. Um, someone who wrote in, they said, now listen, 
you know, you've had thousands of, you know, views or whatever. Not everyone's trying to win the Munich competition or be the next principal of the Berlin Philharmonic. You know, there's people like me. We play in the community band. Um, we want to hear a, a few more kind of practical sides to things. And I thought, yeah, you know, you're right. I mean, it, it, I strayed from equipment sometimes. And then we just had, it was right there in Paul Mayer's interview. And I asked him, look, she wants to know. I mean, this is very informative to a semi-professional, let's say, um, you, you know, why did you change from this to this. And she was particularly in, interested in Lorenzo, my partner, who's really a superb bass clarinetist. Anyone can hear him on, on YouTube, but I think he's internationally recognized as, as, a, as a superb player. She goes, I want to hear about that. You know, I'm sick of hearing about the, the, the guy who jumped from the Cleveland to the Chicago or whatever. I, I want to hear about the guy who plays in the section. And by the way, also plays beautifully. And, and so we had him come on and just talk for a few minutes and answer her questions. But what I want to say is, I think there's two ways of looking at it. I don't, I don't know what, what the right way is, but I have a completely different perspective, as you say, that, that, than you have. Probably more people are in your situation, but I think it's okay. I think when, when I was choosing the guests and going through this, not everyone always agreed either. And, and there were scheduling, as you know, um, problems. You know, it's about your chemistry and, and what, what you bring to it. It isn't just the guests, it's the chemistry of the show. And who do I think I can, I have a better, I can bring something out of interest with this sort of person, or I know that person. And you have this really great perspective because I think probably more people see it from your point of view and say, you take that for, for granted, Andy. You know what it's like to do a hundred concerts uh, to a big audience a year, but for some of us just have, different questions that, that, that would be very interesting. So I think it's okay to bring your own perspective to it. Totally. And that's one thing I've been criticized for too, actually, is uh, people write in and, oh, you know, the questions are too intellectual and too advanced or whatever. And like, I just want to know, you know what kind of read someone's using or whatever. I had to kind of push back against that because I was like, you know, that's not what's interesting to me is like, I'm interested in growing my career and moving forward. And I think that my audience has become a part of kind of that niche and uh, if it's not interesting to me, it's not going to be interesting to listen to. <laughs> like, I'm not really interested in what read someone's using. One thing that we noticed, um, it, it, Lorenzo was keeping tabs, um, because our, our, as opposed to uh, a lot of your shows, ours were live. He could see a spike. It wasn't necessarily in the guests. It wasn't necessarily in what they were saying, whether it's boring or interesting. There was a spike in numbers as soon as there was interaction. Okay? So... Um, what you're doing right now, I mean, it's great because you're, you're chiming in at, as a person, you know, and with his own point of view from his experiences, and we're going back and forth. This is extremely interesting. As soon as you start, um, we found statistically, um, you know, so as soon as you start trying to pretend that you're someone else or the guest starts pretending he's someone else, I, I think that's when people, there's enough things on the internet, they don't need to sit through an hour's. You know, I definitely think I've got to have you back on the show at some point because we clearly have lots to talk about. And I'd love to even discuss more about, you know, your, your interview show. I do hope you continue. But is there anything else you want to quickly touch on before we before we go? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm always accused of, of talking too much. So, so I'll take the hint. <laughs> if you're listening to the show on Spotify or iTunes or now on Amazon, it will end here. But if you are a supporter on Patreon, uh, you can join for as little as $1 a month at clarinet.com slash subscribe. You'll get access to a couple more bonus questions behind the scenes. So thank you so much, Andrew, for joining me today. And I'll see you on the other side in the lightning round. Great. Thank you so much, Tom. What a pleasure. 
Thank you so much for listening to the Clarinet Podcast. Be sure to check out Andy's show as well on YouTube, and he also has a Facebook page. You can just search Andy's Licorice Talk. That's A-N-D-Y apostrophe S. L-I-C-O-R-I-C-E and then the word talk on YouTube or Facebook. Also, if you did enjoy today's show, be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcast. There's over 150 conversations now with great artists like Stanley Drucker, Laurie Friedman, Michael Lowenstern, Karada Giuffredi. The list goes on and on and you can check it all out wherever you get your podcasts or at clarinet.com for free. Of course, if you really enjoyed what you heard and want access to the extended version, like I was just saying, you can do this for as little as a dollar a month at clarinet com slash subscribe. I would really appreciate your support in the Patreon community there. Um, I was going to try to leave the end of the episodes here for any kind of listener questions or announcements, but again, nothing has come in. I got to check and make sure that email address is working, actually. It's a little bit odd for me not to hear from anyone for a couple of weeks here. So if you have been trying to reach me, I'm sorry. Maybe the hello at clarinet.com email is down. I will check on that before next time. You can also contact me either using the contact form on the website, which I get a lot of spam on. So So uh, I'm actually thinking of turning that off. But anyhow, you can also leave a voicemail on the website. And those are actually my favorite thing to receive because it's just so fun to hear someone else's voice instead of my own all the time. So if you have a spare minute, please do consider leaving me a voicemail. You can find the link to do all this stuff at clarineat.com. Thank you so much to our sponsors who make the show possible. The new Bakun Q-Series clarinet features a completely redesigned bore inspired by the Bakun Custom Series clarinets. This means you can play and perform like the pros but for less. Use code CLARINET at bakunmusical.com to save 10% on your entire purchase and try the Bakun Q-Series or Protégé Clarinet risk-free for 30 days. Just pay the return shipping if you aren't fully satisfied. Shop now at bakunmusical.com and use code CLARINET at checkout. Imagine a read that lets you focus on your music, lasts for months instead of days, and even saves you money in the long run. It's all possible with Legere Reads, the world's leading synthetic read brand made right here in Canada. The European cut read is preferred by Legere artists all over the world, including Eddie Daniels, David Schifrin, Crowder Giuffredi, and many others. It offers a warm, clean sound with a great ease of articulation and is now available for E-flat, B-flat, and the bass clarinet. Learn more at your local music store or at Legere.com. That's L-E-G-E-R-E dot com. I'm your host, Sean Perrin, signing off from Calgary, Alberta, Canada, and I look forward to seeing you next time on the Clarinet Podcast, the show for clarinetists.